Welcome to the Immigration Hour on America's Web Radio. It's great to be with you on what has come to be known as Snowpocalypse Day in Atlanta. The state is shut down, the city is shut down, we're all going to die, there's no milk and bread, and it's raining nicely outside at 47 degrees. Uh, so no, it's uh, it was a great day to go to work today though, David, because... Literally nobody's on the road. Oh, I loved it. It was wonderful today. Yeah. Uh, we should have more of these snowpocalypse days. Uh, unfortunately, when my my attorneys and, and staff at the office are like, we can work from home, it's not, come on, people. This is what weather.com is for, uh, to take a look. Now, there is a concern that later this afternoon when the temperature plummets, uh, supposedly, uh, that there might be ice on the roads, but certainly not this morning. Um, and uh, but I, you know this all go harkens back to the ice apocalypse event of uh, 2014, 15, whenever that was, when uh, nobody believed the weather forecasters, which was evident on weather.com that was going to happen. And then at, at 10 o'clock in the morning, sent everybody home, and what a nightmare! And so they're just afraid. It's just about fear more than anything else. Um, but I don't worry. I've got seven loaves of white bread and nine gallons of milk at home, so I'm, I'm golden for at least a week. Well, I've got. Uh I'm probably the only person in town that owns them, but I got a four wheel drive plus I got chains. <laughs> yeah, you're not going to be chains here. <laughs> and I can I can put my chains on in the garage, and, and you're good to go, right? And I, I can go anywhere. I, you know, I've I've done that in the past, and uh, it I'm not well, going to stop. Well, you know, I, I wish there was a snowpocalypse in Washington D.C. that would shut them all down. That would be nice. So we're back to work, okay? Uh, we're back to work uh, in the United States. The the proverbial shutdown is over. Of course, Donald Trump got all two thousand miles of his wall uh, embossed in Boston gold with his initials on it. Oh, wait a second, he didn't get squat, did he? Yeah, uh, he got beat the snot by Nancy Pelosi. Who raw Nancy Pelosi? The weakest leader the Democrats could elect. You know, it's, it's interesting to see how the fight about Nancy Pelosi. Oh, she's she's this and she's that. And I can tell you, she chewed Trump up and spit him out, and he's lying on the side of the road. Uh, now what's going to happen? This is, David, where it gets really interesting. Because supposedly there's 15 days, right, before they're going to shut the government again unless they come to an immigration deal. And yet there is an immigration deal that was bipartisan that passed the Senate with a supermajority of votes not more than five years ago. So why not just take that bill? Put it on the floor of the Senate. I mean, just like these complaints that the Democrats, well, they voted for the wall in the past. True. They absolutely voted for a wall in the past. Hell, the Democrats built most of the wall in the past. Um, But it's about politics more than it is about fixing a problem, isn't it? And so, you know, they can make the argument, well, the Democrats voted for a wall, but hey, the Republicans voted to fix immigration. So... Why don't we fix immigration? You will be happy to know, David, that Marco Rubio is optimistic they can come up with an immigration plan. So if Marco says it, we're going to be okay. But think about that. Do you think if they took that 2013 bill, David, and put it on the floor, it would pass the Senate? I know. I think it would pass the Senate. I mean, I don't have any doubt. The question is, well, I I believe it would get a majority of the votes for sure. Do I think it would get 60 votes? I mean, there's, remember, there's 50, $65 billion in that bill for border security. $65 billion. Uh, also in that bill is a legalization program for everybody. It's a fix for the whole system. I mean, you've got, I mean, you've got stuff in there about uh, 
fixing the green card lottery, fixing the lines, uh, uh, creating a point system for some people. I mean, there was there was a little bit for everybody to like, and a little bit for everybody to hate. It was it was really a terrific bill. And why didn't it become law? Because Paul Ryan, who knew it would pass the House, refu- I mean John Boehner, who knew it would pass the House, refused to bring it up for a vote. That's why. He didn't want to give Obama a win on immigration. And yet, a bunch of Republicans supported 69 votes, I believe, 68, 69 votes in the Senate, uh, which means a lot of Republicans supported this bill. Um, so that would be an easy fix. So they, they don't have to start from scratch. So now they're talking about, well, Trump wants $5 billion. So this is interesting, funny, isn't it? Trump wants $5 billion for a wall. Congress is offering, if in 2013... Sixty-five billion for a wall and border security and more agents and I mean it was a smorgasbord of of, of wall of, of border spending, and yet he doesn't want that bill because it allows immigrants into America. So we, we now we realize what this is really about. It's racism uh, uh, up close and personal. It's it's nativism. It's uh, xenophobia, um, and that's why that bill is not going to be brought up. Now, the Democrats have no chance of uh, coming to an agreement on a bill that does not, for, for increased money on the border, which does not include a path to residency for Dreamers and TPS, which is just a minimal number of people. There is just no chance that they'll vote for that. Zero. Zero. It just won't pass. Uh, so... So, I, and I, honestly, I don't think most Democrats really care about the wall, other than that's a symbol um, uh, for Trump and, and, and some of the racism that he's put out there. So I don't think they really care about the wall. I don't think they'd vote for the wall in a heartbeat. But they know they have to get something big in return for that wall. And the question really is, what will they get? Will they get something big for the wall? Will Where, where do these negotiations go in the context uh, of this uh, wall. Um, now, Trump, is interestingly enough, said that he doesn't think that the Congress can come up with a plan that he would sign. Now, think about that. He doesn't think they can come up with a plan. Now, why would that be? What is, what is stopping uh, Trumpasso from agreeing to a deal? Uh, one, it could be that he just looks weak. Uh, if he agrees to anything other than a wall and nothing else um, to his base. Uh, but we already know that his base thinks he's an idiot, which is why his base is shrinking rapidly. Um, and so he has zero chance of successfully pleasing his base with anything that comes out of this Congress. Clearly, he doesn't realize uh, that he is no longer in control of Congress, as he was when Paul Ryan was uh, was the was the speaker of the house when he could basically dictate to Paul Ryan uh, what it is he wanted them to do, um, and so is he willing to accept? Um, is he really willing to accept a compromise bill as part of this? Uh, that's a, that's a great question. Now, uh, Republicans are calling on Nancy Pelosi to negotiate a border, a broad border security package. Okay. Um, 
Rubio on Sunday. Now, Dave, I don't know if you ever watched Meet the Press. I'm not a I'm not a Sunday news show guy because in the past that used to be very interesting shows. Now it's just talking points from each party. But Rubio said this: what the president wants is but a fraction of what the bipartisan 2013 bill did on the border security. And if we can get something done that satisfies it, I am confident that the president prepared to move forward on a bunch of other parts of immigration reform that people don't normally associate with him or his White House. Now, David, you might not remember the election of 2014, I mean 2016, um, but uh, little Marco took a lot of heat for his role in that Gang of Eight 2013. Do you happen to remember that? And that he... Quickly, he quickly backed away from that build, and he was like, "Oh well, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about running for president, so I can't support anything that helps America." Um, so this is, uh, on the other hand, uh, you've got um, uh, the shrill. Let's call her shrill and Coulter, uh, who um, really, how is she relevant, David? Do you have any idea how she's relevant to anything? Has she done anything? I mean, I, has she done anything? Does she, has she contributed anything to society that you're aware of? Trump has contributed more to society than Ann Coulter is. So why do we care what Ann Coulter thinks? Uh, I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? Why do we care? And yet apparently Trump seems to care. Um, uh, so it's going to be interesting to see what happens. Uh, now, another Republican senator from Missouri, Roy Blunt, said that he was, quote, reasonably optimistic that Republicans, Democrats, and the White House could get something over the next two and find a solution. Um, uh, and uh, I love this when he said this. C- um, clearly, the president showed real flexibility here. <laughs> what is the flexibility that Trump showed again? Uh, that he didn't want to lose more in the polls by not closing the government for another week? Um, and so here's, okay, I'm sorry. L- let's look at Trump's flexibility. He has gone from talking about a wall across the entire southern border during the campaign to having barriers in a few select areas. Okay, does he really say that? Is that what he really said? Uh, Now, here's what's interesting. This is Mick Mulvaney. I want to say Nick Mulvaney, but it's really Mick Mulvaney. Uh, The president from the very beginning here actually has been the one willing to negotiate. He wants to negotiate a deal. You know, the only problem with that, David, is that that's not true. <laughs> it's, it's just a little problem, and it's just not based in reality. And it's amazing to me how politicians generally, but this administration particularly, is so good about just ignoring facts. Just facts just don't matter. Things that the president has said simply just like they didn't happen. If you say... This is like 1984. If you say something over and over again and it's false, people will believe it just because you keep saying it over and over again. People accused Obama of this. Obama was an amateur compared to Trump on this stuff. An amateur. These guys are Orwellian to a degree we have never seen before. Um, And uh, here's Michael Steele. Now, Michael Steele, I know he's kind of a rhino, uh, former head of the RNC, said that Trump has been short-sighted to step away from a deal 18 months ago that would have provided $25 billion to build his whole darn wall in exchange for permanent legal protection for dreamers. 
He, he said, no, I'm not going to negotiate. That's it. You have to also give me elimination of legal immigration. You know, you know, Trump has this idea that he's the master negotiator. He's a failed business guy who has failed over and over and over again. You know why you don't see his taxes? Could you realize this guy's broke? He's big time underwater. That's what you would see in his taxes. Um, so negotiating it clearly is not his strong suit. It'll be interesting to see what happens now. Um, now, I do love this analysis. It was almost like Trump was the bull and Pelosi was the matador. And every time she flipped her cake, he went char- cape, he went charging by and she stuck another banderilla in him. In the perception of many people, and not just Democrats, he was thoroughly outplayed by the Speaker of the House. Now, I don't think that's going to happen again. I think, I think this is the last time he underestimates Nancy Pelosi. But think about this deal. Why would Trump say he's skeptical about the Congress coming to a deal that he would accept? It could be because he won't accept any deal, that he's not willing to negotiate, that he's not willing to get dreamers a path to legality. He's not willing to reinstate TPS or give them a path to legality. He's not willing to fix the immigration problems, not by eliminating legal immigration, but rather by having a system in place that makes immigration work again for the United States. Um, We'll be back in just a second here on the Immigration Hour as we talk more about uh, what's going on as a result of the shutdown and maybe some of the, quote, facts that Trump's been talking about in immigration. We'll be back in a second on the Immigration Hour on America's Web Radio. Soy Charles Cook, el jefe del grupo de abogados Cook Immigration Partners. Estoy en su lado. Con más de 20 años de experiencia con la ley de inmigración, conozco cómo ayudarle. Sé la ley y sé que alguna gente podemos ayudar. Llámanos hoy a las 404-816-8611. A las 404-816-8611. O visítenos en el internet. www.immigration.net Whether cruising the strip at a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. Cook Immigration Partners is your passport through the immigration maze. Whether it's help with e-verify in your business or help in how to document a new employee under the new I-9 rules, or if you marry a foreign national, Cook Immigration Partners is your best choice for a legal advocate. Call us today at 866-286-6200. That's 866-286-6200. Or visit us on the web at www.immigration.net. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to the Immigration Hour on America's Web Radio. You know, David, immigration is this big scope thing. It's about Congress. It's about Trump. But it's also about the individual. Uh, and a couple of stories uh, have really, one of which I was involved in, uh, really bring home uh, the problem with the, the way the Trump administration enforces the law and the bigger issue that we have with immig- with uh, uh, um the immigration laws generally. So in Albany, New York, uh, the county, Albany County Sheriff uh, Craig Apple and uh, Mayor Kathy Sheehan of Albany, now this is the capital of New York, New York State, right, um, uh, prompted an outcry when a local cook 
who entered the country illegally more than a decade ago and was detained by immigration. Wait, a sheriff and a mayor are complaining about immigration arresting a cook? Let's read about this. It's lunchtime at the Capital City Rescue Mission, but the kitchen is incomplete. He's a guy who always wants to help people. He's one of my main guys, said Executive Chef Max Onsong. The Capital City Rescue Mission, David, is exactly what it sounds like. It's a rescue mission. It's for homeless people. Um, Kimono Nagorin was a fixture here, serving up meals with a smile to people down on their luck. He was once one of them, fleeing the Ivory Coast to seek asylum in the U.S., they were trying to conscript him into a very bloody civil war, or I think some of the family members had been murdered, said the rescue mission's executive director, Perry Jones. Jones got involved when the Gordon was denied asylum in 2011. Jones agreed to be a sponsor and hire him so immigration would grant Nagorin a stay of removal, giving him employment status. For six years, immigration granted that stay until last week when agents came to the soup kitchen and took him into custody. According to a post by Sheriff Apple, immigration officials arrested Nagorin at their office and sent him to the Albany County Jail. He was later transferred to a federal facility in Batavia, New York. The Facebook post went on to say, enough is enough. I understand there needs to be immigration reform. I've lived it for most of 2018. But when an immigrant calls an immigration calls an immigrant to their office who cooks 800 meals a day at the city mission, who has been mentored by one of the most caring men I've ever met, takes his $100 check and locks him up, Ships him to my jail, then to Batavia, as enough as is enough. This is not what we do in this country. This man doesn't deserve this. I understand some may need to go back, but we are treating this as one size fits all. This is immoral and just damn wrong. Albany Mayor Kathy Sheehan showed support for Apple's post tweeting, I echo Craig Sheriff Apple's outrage. Our com- country needs to do better. Um, Nagorin is married to a U.S. citizen. But his immigrant visa been pending for two years, which is a normal time. So this is a guy who could actually fix his immigration status, but immigration's been sitting on his papers, and they show up and arrest him at his jail, at his job, at a city rescue mission. You know, this is, one, it's lazy policing, by the way. It's lazy. Okay, it's low-hanging fruit, lazy, lazy policing. Second, it, it belies the fact that immigration is looking after bad people. They're not. They're looking for easy people to deport. And this guy's an easy guy to deport. Now, hopefully he doesn't get murdered when he goes back home. Like what happened to a, one of my friend's clients, uh, Marty Rosenbluth. Marty's been on the show. Remember Marty? He, we, he, uh, Marty is a, he's a terrific immigration lawyer. Uh, and uh, he, um, uh, he works tirelessly down in uh, uh, Lumpkin, Georgia, uh, um, Lumpkin County, Georgia, where the uh, Immigration Service has uh, um, uh, a detention center. And Marty uh, is, uh, if you ever want to follow anybody on Facebook, uh, I would certainly follow Marty. But, you know, the individual is is really Marty's call. Uh, And Marty wrote an op-ed or a perspective piece in the Washington Post over the weekend um, he wrote this, and I want to read this because I think it's really important for us to understand that immigration is not just about the big picture. Immigration's about people, individual people, people who want to be in this country, who cannot find a way to stay, or who try to find a way to stay and they're abused, they uh, are taken advantage of, and then they end up in ICE custody. Marty wrote this. 
and her attorney's client made a passionate case to the judge about our unjust system. This month, I went to court with Jose. He came to the United States without papers when he was 15 in 1999. Now he has a wife, three kids, and a job in construction in Raleigh, North Carolina. It all came apart when police pulled him over and arrested him for driving without a license. He soon, soon landed in the Stewart Detention Center in Lumpkin, Georgia. He fought his deportation case alone for several months before his family finally called my law firm. We first told him we couldn't take his case because he had no chance of winning. So ethically, we couldn't take his money. Most people in deportation proceedings have few, if any, options to stay in the United States through the immigration courts. I urged him to take voluntary departure, which enables people to leave the country without getting a deportation order on their records, so it's easier to come back legally in the future. But he told me he was certain that if he could just tell the court his story, the judge would see that letting him stay was right and just and fair. I told him that our immigration system had many rules and laws, but little or no justice. And he's true. In truth, I think Jose knew he had no chance, and he knew he'd have to leave. But he didn't want to leave quickly. We agreed that I would accompany him. I wouldn't say help, because he could have realized his plan without me, and I didn't charge him a penny. But he would dress the judge directly. One of the most important things I do as an attorney is to just be present. Since the immigration laws are so defective, and the judges often play, their own, play by their own rules, open parenthetical, routine bond requests are usually denied, and this Georgia court has the lowest approval rates for asylum cases in the country, closed paren. And the detention and deportation centers are designed to break people's spirits. Often there is not much else that can be done. Based on what transpired, I'm glad I went. Jose's whole family came to support him, his wife and his kids and a friend. When we sat down at the bench, I told the judge that Jose would be speaking for himself. In immigration court, migrants usually just answer questions. So the judge asked me if I was requesting to withdraw, and I said I wasn't. I was staying at the table, but Jose was going to do all the talking. And the judge, to his credit, heard him out. The judge explained the law and what Jose would have to do to prove to in order to win. Before Jose hiring us, Jose had submitted an application on his own for cancellation of removal. There are four elements. He had to prove that he had been living here for 10 years, that he was a person of good moral character and hadn't broken any laws that would bar him under the statutes from applying. Jose could show all those things, but the fourth criteria is the hardest. Jose would have to prove that he, if he were deported, it would cause, quote, exceptional and extremely unusual hardship, close quote, to a spouse, parent, or child who is a U.S. citizen or permanent resident. Usually it means you have a child with cancer or a spouse with a disability that makes them unable to work or support the family, something on that scale. If you convince the court merely that your family would be made homeless or your children would subsist on food stamps, that is not considered sufficient. That is just the usual hardship that deportees' families experience. Without missing a beat, the judge, Jose said, I have the first three, Your Honor, but I do not have the fourth. Turning around to look at his family with obvious pride, he told the judge, This is my family. These are my children. Everything I do, I do for them. But thankfully, they're all healthy, which for the moment seems, to be, seems for some reason to be bad. Truly, logic has no place in immigration court. The judge said that, based on this testimony, he would have to deny his application for cancellation removal. Still, the judge offered Jose voluntary departure and explained, as I had, that it would make it easier for him to return. I had met with Jose's, Jose's wife, Maria, too, and explained, quote, VD, close quote, which is a safer option than exiting the nation through the usual deportation machinery. People who are deported to Mexico from Stewart and many other detention centers are just dumped on the border, where gangs await. 
People deported to other countries are flown. They are often robbed, kidnapped, raped, or killed. Those who take VD on the other hand don't have to get it, to leave jail, but they fly back on a regular commercial flight. The problem with voluntary departure, though, is the cost. You have to buy your own fare. And it's very expensive, around $1,250, because immigration, ICE, will only accept a, quote, Y-class ticket or a full-cost coach fare, which can often cost more than first class. Jose thanked the judge and declined, the tickets cost a lot of money, and my family will leave the money after I leave. Maria interjected, crying, take the voluntary, she said, take the voluntary. My client began crying, too, followed by his kids. I decided to take a chance. I asked the judge if Jose could talk to his wife over the barrier. Generally speaking, any direct communication, and especially physical contact, is strictly forbidden in the courtroom. To my surprise, he agreed. So Maria came forward, and she and Jose started hugging and kissing and crying. The bailiff moved to intervene, but I just shook my head and mouthed the word, please. The couple talked for a few minutes, and then Jose sat back down and offered that he would take voluntary departure. But he'd gotten to hug his 6, 8, and 12-year-old children across the barrier. Imagine that. Humanity and what passes for a court. This is not usually how immigration cases go. The judge gave Jose 30 days to buy his ticket before he would lose the, quote, privilege of taking voluntary departure. In the end, Jose sat there smiling and proud. He was still smiling as his family left the courtroom and smiling when he gave me a hug. He'd known all along he wouldn't win. He wanted to be able to call it the injustice. And the judge, who has low rates of approval for just about anything, heard him out. Only 31 of the 340 judges denied asylum at a higher rate. Close paren. It wasn't a victory, actually, exactly. Jose wouldn't be staying with his family. But speaking a truth to a hostile power is still a kind of achievement. But it was discordant, for one, for such a ruthless corner of the law. And eventually the logic of our immigrant system superseded his brave act. This past week, according to a friend of his who called me to share the news, ICE came to his cell early one morning and said it would fly him to Mexico City. He wouldn't have to, even have to pay for his ticket. Then that afternoon, officials came and handcuffed him, brought him to a room to wait with other de- detainees for several hours, and deposited him on a bus, not to the airport as they had promised. They drove him to the border and dumped him out in Matamoros. I am looking into his eagle's options because apparently no act of courage goes unpunished. This is what immigration law is actually about. This is the feeling. This is the um, uh, the consequence of this broken system, of what really uh, passes for um, justice. Um, we have also been involved recently um, with the case of Eduardo Samniego. Eduardo, a friend of mine, a young man I've worked with for over seven years. Uh, I first met him when we began the process to seek in-state tuition for undocumented students here in Georgia. And Eduardo was brave, uh, outspoken. Um, um, And when DACA came along in 2012, he was heartbroken because he didn't qualify for DACA. Unfortunately, Eduardo arrived in the U.S. when he was 16, not 15. 
When we come back, I'm going to talk more about Eduardo's case. So you have an understanding of the, not just the horror of our immigration laws, but the actual destruction it does to the human psyche and to America's heart. We'll be back in a minute on the Immigration Hour on America's Web Radio. Si usted tiene problemas con inmigración o asuntos que tiene que arreglar, llama a los abogados de Cook Immigration Partners. Somos en su lado. Tenemos más de 50 años de experiencia haciendo las leyes de inmigración y defendiendo a los inmigrantes. Llámenos hoy a las 404-816-8611, a las 404-816-8611 o al www.immigration.net. Hello, I'm Dr. Mike Karuchak. Have you ever wondered what doctors talk about amongst themselves? If you do, join us on the Doctor's Lounge and hear the doctors' conversations amongst themselves. Join me and my co-host, Dr. Hal Schertz, every Thursday morning, 8 to 9 a.m. Cook Immigration Partners is your passport through the immigration maze. Whether it's help with e-verify in your business or help in how to document a new employee under the new I-9 rules or if you marry a foreign national, Cook Immigration Partners is your best choice for a legal advocate. Call us today at 866-286-6200. That's 866-286-6200. Or visit us on the web at www.immigration.net. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Hey, welcome back to the Immigration Now on America's Web Radio. We've been talking for the last little bit about the impact on the individual of our broken immigration system uh, and the enforcement mentality of the current administration. You saw it in uh, a beautiful essay written by um, Marty Rosenbluth. Um, We have had clients similarly treated, uh, one recently uh, who was deported to the border who has now been kidnapped and being held for ransom by gangs at the border. Uh, to a family that literally lost everything when he was deported. It happens every day. ICE knows this happens every day, but proceeds forward anyway. Let me tell you now about Eduardo. Eduardo is one of the finest young men I've ever met. Uh, He has a heart of gold uh, and a vision of both himself and the, the wonder of America. Um, when Eduardo was 16, uh, he left Mexico and moved to Kennesaw, Georgia, alone. Uh, a pastor took him in. Eduardo quickly hit the books. He didn't speak any, any real English before he came, learned English, made the honor roll, and graduated from high school as a student body president three years later. I mean, honestly, an unprecedented success were exactly what we want immigrants to be. He wanted to go to college. But his undocumented status left him unable to apply to most schools in Georgia. He helped us arrange the the youth who served as our plaintiffs in our first and our second lawsuits against the state of Georgia for for DACA kids to receive tuition. He began advocating for undocumented across the country to have access to higher education. And Hampshire College in Amherst, Massachusetts, caught wind of his story and offered him a full scholarship. Eduardo was, I remember when he told me that he was going there, he was beaming. He was alive. Uh, He was uh, ecstatic about the opportunity to not only further his own education, 
but to work with people dedicated to the advancement of justice. And he thrived at Hampshire. He continued to dive deeper into activism because he wanted more immigrants to have the opportunities that he had had. He also wanted badly to legalize his own status. And we worked with Eduardo as his lawyers, as his pro bono lawyers, to file under the Obama administration a quest for deferred action. Eduardo was one of 10 activists nationwide who put themselves out, who said, I am here and I am undocumented, I am unafraid, and I would like the government to exercise its discretion on my behalf. The Obama administration sat on that request and did nothing. Despite repeated follow-ups, they intentionally did nothing. He missed DACA by a few months, but it turns out that those few months has made now all the terrible difference in his life. He became known and admired by ordinary people and influential people like Senators Ed Markey and Elizabeth Warren. Jim McGovern, the congressman from Worcester, was moved by San Diego's life story when they appeared at a rally together. Eduardo's rise from an obscure high school student to celebrated immigration rights activist was not without setbacks. And this is where the tragedy strikes Eduardo's life. A few years ago, he was visiting friends. This is about two and a half years ago. He was visiting friends in Georgia when a gas explosion at the apartment where he was staying left him with burns over half his, his, his broken body. He had to jump out of a second-story window, broke his femur, and burned over more than 44% of his body. He recovered enough to return to school, but there were other lasting in- injuries. This is from an article, um, an op-ed written by Globe, Boston Globe columnist Kevin Cullen. I talked to Kevin about Eduardo and about his life. Um, I wrote, this is what I told Kevin, there was definitely some post-traumatic stress. You know, when you are injured that badly, uh, it's not just physical injuries. I ask any soldier who's been injured in horrible ways, says there's much, much more. Uh, but it took Edward a whole year. I mean, it took him a year in the hospital, out of the hospital, and his body recovered. His leg healed, his skin healed for the most part. And really, uh, in many ways, it was miraculous, the healing. But the internal healing never really happened. That stress was probably at the root of what Kevin called the almost absurd circumstances that found Eduardo locked up facing deportation. Eduardo was having trouble difficulty concentrating at Hampshire, so he took a break last semester, came home in September, came back to George in October and went for a run. He was struggling. When I talked to him, when his friends talked to him, they were concerned for him because it just wasn't the Eduardo of old. He clearly had reached a breaking point. One morning in October, he went out for a run. Uh, He'd only been back at this place for a few weeks. He was staying at a friend's house, and he got lost. He just got lost. He didn't remember where he was. Uh, He uh, he somehow flagged down a taxi. Um, Didn't have his phone. He found that taxi. And the taxi driver, he told the taxi driver, hey, look, I don't know where I live. I need, can you drive me around until I find my place? And the taxi guy said, sure. And after a fare of $27.75 was rung up, the taxi driver demanded to be paid, even though Eduardo told him, I don't have any money. I don't have my wallet, I don't have anything. I'm just looking for my house. Pulled into a QT. The taxi cab driver called the police. Police came. 
Eduardo told them the truth. I don't have any money on him. Police arrested Eduardo um, for um, theft of services, for not paying the taxi cab driver. Brought him to Cobb County Jail. Eduardo, at this point, was really broken. Uh, and uh, it, his family didn't know where he was. We were searching for him everywhere. Uh, finally, his other lawyer, he has a lawyer who's handling the injuries uh, case that he suffered, found him in Cobb County Jail and went to go see him. Uh, and Eduardo told him he didn't want anybody to know he'd been in jail. He was embarrassed. But at the same time, he was in the infirmary there. So he was clearly going through some issues at the jail. And by that time, almost 45 days had passed. Well, that lawyer eventually found out about me, that I represented Eduardo, and called me. And uh, I said, look, we want to pay this bond as quickly as we can, but we also know that the moment we pay the county bond, now 45 days he's in jail over a $27 at 75% cab fare. In jail. Who knows what he's costing the state at this point. And he has an ice hold on him because it's Cobb County Jail. So we know as soon as we pay that bond, he is in ice custody. And Eduardo has no defense, got no defense. Unlike Jose, who had at least the modicum of defense but couldn't win it, Eduardo had nothing. He doesn't have family that are citizens here, doesn't have a spouse, doesn't have a, you know, a friend uh, that can help him on this. The law just says that Eduardo's going to have to leave. Whether he's deported or takes voluntary departure, ultimately he'll have to leave. But we believed we could fight. We believed we could convince ICE not to detain him before he paid his bond. Unfortunately, uh, some friends found out and paid his bond, which, I mean, it's a, leg- it's a legitimate response. Get, get him out of jail. Not really understanding ICE here in Atlanta and what was really going to happen. So ICE picked him up in early December uh, and uh, uh, mid-December, and we immediately filed for a bond. Now, Generally speaking, that bond would have been heard by uh, one of several different judges here in Atlanta. Uh, ICE moved him to uh, a facility uh, called um, uh, Drayton. Drayton, because Atlanta closed the East Atlanta City Detention Center, uh, they moved him to this, this other geo group facility called Drayton, which is a federal facility, kind of a medium security center where they keep federal d- prisoners. Uh, and uh, but they don't have a, they didn't have a a psych unit. They didn't have, they had an infirmary. And when we were able to visit him a, a week or so later when we tracked him down, um, he was in the infirmary and not doing well. My partner, Hibba, visited with him, just wasn't doing well. Uh, and we explained to him what the situation was, and we would try to get a bond to get him out, but, you know, we didn't know what was going to happen. This was a, a couple days before the shutdown. So we filed our bond case, and the government shut down. But, uh, and immigration courts shut down around the country, but they kept some judges coming in uh, to court, uh, including supervisory immigration judges, to hear detained cases. Uh, we were assigned to a judge who should never have heard our case because she was one of the people, As when she was a government lawyer, we had sued her personally over the Jessica Colodal case, so she never should have heard this case. Um, she, that day, denied bond to everybody in court, even though we, and, and at the court, we'd asked, they, they brought Eduardo up from Drayton, and we'd asked the judge, uh, we'd asked the, the client, Eduardo, and his mom, who had just come up from Mexico, now that she knew where her son was, 
uh, to please let's withdraw the bond. We're not going to get bond today. We better better sit back and try again uh, when the government reopens. But they wanted to go forward. She denied bond. And really, there's no reason to deny him bond. Bond is about flight risk and danger to the community. Edward was not a danger to the community. He wasn't a flight risk. He was nothing. He's just a kid uh, that could have gotten the treatment he needed right away, but they decided to keep him in jail. Uh, Eduardo was then moved to a horrible facility, the Irwin County Detention Center in South Georgia, from the place in Drayton, pretty close to Atlanta, uh, where he was put into isolation because he exhibited some mental health challenges. And they don't also don't have a unit for psychiatric care. Their psychiatric care has put you in solitary confinement. And they did. They put him in solitary confinement. And you can imagine somebody who's mentally fragile, who's going through some very difficult times, uh, and what it means to be put in solitary confinement. You can only imagine how bad that got. Um, we, um, the case was then set for a hearing on Eduardo's case itself uh, with that same judge, which I went to a week and a half ago. And the judge ended up continuing the case because the night, the night before... Eduardo had been moved from Irwin County to uh, a facility for mental health, people with mental health issues in South Carolina, Columbia, South Carolina. And after speaking to his doctor, uh, who, choose, who began treating him there, it was clear that Eduardo was in no condition to be in court uh, or to even appear on video. But the judge insisted on calling, and uh, she made the guard who answered the phone go get him. The guard knew that Eduardo wasn't supposed to be on video. But the, uh, he was a lower-level guy, and when he went to get Eduardo, the supervisor who would have said you can't take him was in the bathroom. And Eduardo appeared on TV, and the judge began questioning him when I began to object strenuously uh, to her not having the capability to question my client about his mental health issues and that we, in fact, have a right to a hearing on whether he was competent to move forward with this case. She uh, ultimately agreed uh, dis- uh, after uh, some strongly worded argument and the case was set for the following week. We filed another motion to recuse that judge who had denied our oral motion to recuse. And when we showed up on Friday in court, um, she wasn't the judge. But another judge was, who also should have recused himself because he had made comments about Eduardo in a previous hearing uh, that showed that he had predisposed to denying the case. Now, I want to go back to Kevin's article. Kevin wrote this. It was a minor infraction should have been resolved with San Diego contacting friends getting the unpaid tab. But unlike in Massachusetts, law enforcement agencies in Georgia routinely turn suspected undocumented immigrants over to ICE. That kind of cooperation is supposed to prioritize hardcore criminals, not college students who can't pay a cab fare. But it's different in Georgia. San Diego found himself in front of a Trump-appointed immigration judge who refused him bail. Cook said Santiago's health has deteriorated since he was taken into custody. This week he was transferred to a Georgia lockup for a for, from a Georgia lockup to a for-profit detention facility in South Carolina with medical facilities. Rose Bookbinder, who worked with San Diego at the Pioneer Valley Worker Center in Northampton, said there is a multi-state support network advocating for San Diego's release on bail so he can turn to Massachusetts and get the medical care he needs. On Wednesday of last week, there were rallies for him in 11 cities. San Diego supporters believe he has been targeted for his activism. Eduardo has made a positive impact on so many lives, Bookbinder said. How would deporting him make this a better country? It wouldn't. That's a good question. One that Kevin wanted to ask ICE, but with the government shut down, its people weren't taking calls. Cook said San Diego loves and appreciates the United States deeply. If this happened in Massachusetts, Eduardo would be okay. It happened in the wrong county in Georgia, Cook said. To lose someone with his intellect 
and drive and kindness would be losing exactly what we need more of in America. Ironically, after a friend of mine, Doug Rohan, got involved, the prosecutor dropped the theft charges against Eduardo after he paid the taxi cab fare. There is no criminal charge against him. And yet, now, from the hearing last Friday, when the judge ignored my partner's pleas to set a competency hearing in a separate time and place so that we could have our own psychiatrist analyze Eduardo, the judge began questioning him on video again and ruled that Eduardo was perfectly competent and Eduardo asked for voluntary departure because he does not understand the consequences of that. But because he got so fed up of being in jail now for almost 100 days um, that he just wanted to leave. And the judge granted his voluntary departure. And Eduardo is still in custody because he has to pay for his own ticket. Uh, but Eduardo's not prepared to just pop up in Mexico and be fine. Fortunately, we're working with our friends at the Mexican consulate who've been just amazing to work with during this process. And they're arranging for care for Eduardo once he arrives back in Zacatecas. And we're going to make sure that Eduardo does not end up in the situation that Marty's client did, dumped at the border, kidnapped by unethical and ruthless criminals. So Eduardo's saga in the United States is on its last legs, and we, we will continue to help him. We'll try to figure a way to get him back to finish his education. But at the end of the day, this is what happens in Trump's Immigration America. Let's take our final break here on the Immigration Hour on America's Web Radio. Si usted ha casado con un ciudadano o tiene problemas con inmigración o tiene una oferta de trabajo, llama a los abogados de Cook Immigration Partners. Somos en su lado. Con más de 100 años de experiencia en la ley de inmigración, conocemos la ley y sabemos cómo ayudarle. Llámanos hoy a las 404-816-8611, a las 404-816-8611 o visítenos al www.immigration.net. This is Dr. Susan Blank, host of Detailing Addiction and medical director of the Atlanta Healing Center. Please join me on Tuesday afternoons at 4 p.m. Cook Immigration Partners is your passport through the immigration maze. Whether it's help with e-verify in your business or help in how to document a new employee under the new I-9 rules or if you marry a foreign national, Cook Immigration Partners is your best choice for a legal advocate. Call us today at 866-286-6200. That's 866-286-6200, or visit us on the web at www.immigration.net. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. You know, immigration lawyers every day uh, fight for their clients. We, um, we do our best to... Uh, help them live the American dream, uh, the dream we, we as lawyers are blessed to live. Uh, I think about my grandparents who came to America with nothing um, and think that these immigrants of today have every, perhaps more skill, more talent, maybe even more drive than my own grandparents did as they turned their hopes and beliefs and dreams into America. Uh, there was a terrific article on uh, on Saturday in the uh, in the in the New York Times by Maeve Higgins. Uh, it's an opinion piece. It's entitled "God Bless America," 
and her lawyers. Um, you know, uh, it's really um, immigration lawyers that have led the fight against this attack by nativists and xenophobes and those who scream wall at the top of their lungs without understanding the human consequence, let alone the economic consequence of these actions. Um, you know, we were, as immigration lawyers, we were thrust into this fight uh, on January 27, 2017, almost two years ago, over, a little over two years ago, when Trump uh, decided to issue his Muslim ban. Mark Doss, who was a supervising lawyer at the IRC, the International Refugee Assistance Project, uh, pulled an all-nighter on January 27th, and his work life has not been the same since. On that day two years ago, his client, Hamid Darwish, an Iraqi who had worked primarily as an interpreter on behalf of the U.S. government for 10 years, was the first person detained at Kennedy Airport under President Trump's Muslim ban. Images of immigration lawyers huddled together over laptops on airport floors across the country made global news. 19 hours in a habeas corporate position titled Darwish and Trump Later, Mr. Darwish was the first detainee to be released. Mr. Doss was able to comfort his weeping client at baggage claim. I moved here five years ago in a relatively straightforward way, but one that still involved much paperwork, expense, and anxiety. Amanda Gupta, who specializes in visas for artists and entertainers, was my lawyer. It's because of her I get to live my own peculiar American dream, which is to have a comedy career and drink as much cold brew as I can before my heart explodes. That first travel ban, and each subsequent one, made my stomach lurch, as I imagined not being allowed back into the place I belong. And since that chaotic weekend two years ago, I have wondered what life has been like for immigration lawyers. People whose livelihood depends on getting others to a door that was only ever ajar and is now in danger of slamming shut. As the administration hacks away at immigrants' rights and rains down policy changes, immigration requests that would usually have been approved are denied, many lawyers told me. They are receiving requests for further evidence that are baffling, with precedents continually blur- continuously blurring. Quote, any way the government can have a moment of gotcha. They do, and they will, Mrs. Gupta said. If they can get you out of the country, they will. John Kashravi, an immigration lawyer in Los Angeles, agrees. These past two years, it's like someone is running around sticking their finger in people's eyes, and I'm an eye doctor. Sure, business is good, but these aren't the injuries I want to treat. On his podcast, Immigration Lawyers Podcast, he urges his colleagues to have a plan B and save their money for a rainy day. Mr. Kushrabi is an Iranian-American when he started practicing law nearly a decade ago. All of his clients were Iranian. Since then, he has clients from all over the world. For Lauren Blodgett, a staff lawyer at Safe Passage Project, the past years have been the definition of success change. She's represented children seeking asylum who were separated from their parents at the border, per the policy put in place by this administration last year. She said that even if her clients are denied a chance to stay in the U.S., it's crucial to her to help them feel heard and even loved throughout the process. They will remember their case for the rest of their lives, she said, adding that it's a privilege to get to do this kind of difficult work. She has sometimes had to tell eight- or nine-year-olds that she honestly has no idea whether they will see their parents again. What, I ask, could possibly one possibly do to unwind after a workday that involved these, qual- these conversations? Twice a month, Ms. Blodgett goes to a dance party that takes place from 6 to 9 a.m., 
We dance, and in some days I go straight to court. I bring my suit and change in the bathroom. At the end of our conversation, I asked her whether she feels hopeless, and she looked at me surprised, the same way I looked at her when she told me she voluntarily goes to early morning raves. This work is an opportunity to turn your rage and anger and disgust into action. Miss Doss married last year and spent the days before her wedding finalizing a waiver application for a woman stranded in Yemen because of the travel ban to be reunited with her children in the U.S. His wife's brother, a graphic designer in Jordan, was denied a visitor visa so he could not be with them on their wedding day. It's heartbreaking, he told me, particularly for his new in-laws, but his perspective quickly broadened. For my clients from Syria or Yemen or Libya who are trying to reunite with their loved ones in the United States, they're definitely banned. He worries that these separated families have been forgotten about, lost in the mix of everything else that has happened in the past two years. The number of globally displaced people hit a record high. And last year, the Trump administration set the lowest cap on the number of refugees who have reached the U.S. since Congress passed the Refugee Act of 1980. I asked Mr. Doss what his clients, refugees who have made it through, feel about arriving in a country run by people who do not seem to want them here. Quote, they are often fleeing from governments that have persecuted them but they have a deep love for the country. So they're able to separate the government from the people. Most Americans, when they're face-to-face, are kind and clearing, kind and caring. The phone line went quiet for a second, and I worried we had been disconnected. He cleared his throat and said, I think. Um, being an immigration lawyer now is not only a remarkable honor, uh, but it is certainly a way to feel what justice should feel like, both when you win a case and when you lose a case. Because when you, know, when you lose a case, you know it's not a case. For the government, it's just a brown folder. For the court, it's just a little, little folder in their, court, in their courtroom they put on a shelf. But for us, it's lives. It's families. It is children. It is businesses. Uh, it is a country. Now, let's be clear. There are people that have lost their right to live in the United States um, by doing things that harm society. But they are a small, small percentage of all the immigrants that come to America, virtually all of whom love their adopted country and want to be successful in it, and have made us better. So when I hear Trump spew the vile hatred that comes out of his mouth, when he, when he quotes just literally made-up numbers about immigrants and immigration, um, all you can say is, at the end of the day, what I do makes America greater. What I do keeps America wonderful and makes us a place where we, as a people, e pluribus unum people, can move forward with our great experiment. You know, Thomas Jefferson said that the tree of liberty must be refreshed from the blood of patriots from time to time. Most of those patriots come from immigrant stock. Many are immigrants themselves. It's high time we realize that as a country, that nativism, that white nationalism, 
that belief in the superiority of one race over another has no place in this country. And yet, it sits in the White House today. Now, I don't know what's going to happen politically over the next two years, but I know over the next two years that I will continue fighting for my clients' rights and their right to remain and be and come to the United States. And I think it's true for any immigration lawyer, whether they have 30 years experience or they just graduated from law school. As I sit and look at my students that I teach at Emory Law School and those that want to be immigration lawyers, what I sense in them is not despair. I don't sense fear. I sense a growing feeling of justice, of a desire to bring on behalf of those who cannot represent themselves claims under our laws that are allowed to be made. So, as we go forward in the fight for justice, as the fight for service, as the fight for the Constitution, the very laws that we upheld, as strong and as bad as they may be, we have to fight using them to give our clients that last best hope. And Marty's client, who went back to Mexico, he went back with his head held high because he had fought for his family. Now, factors and circumstances change, but he will always have that memory, just like the eight and nine-year-olds who come here and claim asylum will have that memory. Hope you've enjoyed the show this week. Next, we'll be back with another episode of the Immigration Hour on America's Web Radio. If you have any comments or questions, you can email me at chuck at immigration.net. If you have any complaints, you can send them to David at David and America's Web Radio. David, do you ever get any emails about complaints? Sweet. Somebody's not listening to this. Um, until next week, this is your host, Charles Cook, on the Immigration Hour on America's Web Radio. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Cook Immigration Partners is your passport through the immigration maze. Whether it's help with e-verify in your business or help in how to document a new employee under the new I-9 rules or if you marry a foreign national, Cook Immigration Partners is your best choice for a legal advocate. Call us today at 866-286-6200. That's 866-286-6200, or visit us on the web at www.immigration.net. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.